amazing privilege we have to be part of worship like we're receiving tonight from this amazing, wonderful team. Thank you, Josh. I left most of my voice back in Atlanta. There's about 18% left. I get colds about every, every other year, and so it happened last night. And we just, uh, just accept that. On arrival, I knew I needed to gargle something, and I, I said, is there any whiskey here at the church to gargle? And uh, they said they had just run out recently, and so uh, I couldn't get that done. From the moment that I arrived with my uh, traveling companion, Stephen Andrews, <clears throat> and um, had the privilege of being welcomed at uh, Sheila and John's home, realized this church treats their guests with, with royalty, and um, we felt very special. And from that moment a few days ago, when the Spirit of God was pleased to visit the Asbury University campus, we realize that something very, very special has happened in our nation in recent days that is not only touching this nation, but is moving across campuses and churches throughout the world. And we're just so grateful for these unexpected arrivals of uh, of the Lord to make himself known in, in a very, very powerful way. I was a very young uh, college teacher at a Christian music college when a similar revival uh, took place at Asbury back in the early 70s. And because the campus where I was teaching at was also a Wesleyan campus, the overflow from Asbury naturally reached that campus. And uh, in, it was in Kansas, and about a third to about 40% of the uh, student body that Christmas went down to Mexico to do outreach. They were certainly touched of the Lord. And following um, that time, the Lord called me into uh, full-time missions, and it's been a real joy to be a lifetime music missionary. The mission that I'm with, Operation Mobilization, also had a conference here not too long after that revival. And um, so we in OM have a deep appreciation uh, for this church. And of course, we have uh, followed um, the ministry of one of our leaders, Pradeep, over the years, and so grateful for that relationship that he and Judith have uh, I've had with your church. And of course, for me to be in any place where I get to hang out with Ron Mann is uh, something special. And as you may realize, he is arguably the leading globe-trotting worship theologian holding seminars across the planet. And uh, I will share more about Ron throughout our time together. In a recent book, John Piper wrote, 
He said his aim in writing that book was to gather from the scriptures some very old kindling of truth, put a match to it, and release the incendiary properties for the intensifying of true worship. May the same spirit of the Lord ignite his word and invigorate our worship as we fellowship together this weekend as we're going to camp out in the Psalms. And uh, Josh, writing that song from Psalm 86 was such an inspiration to me. So let's pray a moment as we camp out in the Psalms and as you have to camp out with my very froggy voice tonight. Lord, move throughout this place tonight. May your word ignite in our hearts something very special. And please give me enough voice to make it through our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Decades ago, after serving two years on our mission ship, the mission ship of OM called the Logos, I was heading home with my fiance, and we were in a van with four others, and on a foggy night in Eastern Europe, a drunken truck driver plowed into our van, and four of my partner ministry people were killed, including my fiance. I awoke in a hospital. Next to me was the only other survivor in that crash. I was unaware that I had been in a one-week coma, fighting for my life, broken bones everywhere. And during those years, I had suffered from a very severe case of Graves' disease, where my eyelids could not cover my protruding eyes, and being in a coma, my corneas scarred, and I lost most of my eyesight. I was flown home from Yugoslavia to Philadelphia on a stretcher, paying for four seats, and uh, underwent eye surgeries. It has left me with rather weak eyesight. At nighttime, I provide lots of entertainment on the highways trying to drive. That's one of the reasons why Stephen Andrews might have wanted to be my partner driving me here. So over several weeks, I, I was in total darkness. My eyelids had to be um, completely shielded from any air as it went through a healing process. And so I had this longing to read. And finally, when the uh, bandages were removed, I started reading. And one of the first verses that I came across was Psalm 63, 4. I will praise you as long as I live. And at that moment, I sensed the Lord was speaking to me that I was to be more than just a musician. And why I survived that accident was to learn to praise him and not just to use 
music. And so an ongoing uh, devotional habit developed in my own life, reading regularly through the Psalms. And I suggest that that would be a wonderful, wonderful um, habit for all of us, and especially to cycle through Psalm 119, that amazing acrostic uh, poem of deep, deep devotion. And uh, so I suggest you make the Psalms a regular part of your ongoing life. This is what Christy wanted. There you go. I knew I needed something, and uh, you, <laughs> you just did it. So as a missionary, it didn't take me long to discover the global motif in the Psalms. Psalm 67 hit me very powerfully with that amazing refrain. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. The Passion Translation is very similar. May the fame of your name echo throughout the whole earth accompanied with praise. However, when I got to Psalm 57, I was astonished. Innocent David is needing to run away from Saul. He's hiding in a cave with his renegade army. Caves are cozy places for rats and bats and cockroaches and, and other critters. Now, the psalm doesn't tell us how it happened, but at some point, David stepped out of that cave... Maybe he needed a bit of fresh air. It may have been nighttime. He might have seen the stars. Those stars may have just encouraged him uh, about the greatness of our Lord. And then something happened. Inspiration demolished David's despair. He may have laid down his sword. He may have picked up his, his lute, his guitar. And that young warrior David, who was also... Uh, an improvising, marvelous musician started singing. He shifted into a new key. And his vision shifted out of that cave into the nations. Now imagine his crescendo. Probably out there in a full-throated be exalted, O oh God. Let your glory be over all the earth. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Global worship from a smelly cave. He did not cave in at the cave. Sounds like a country western title. Maybe the birds were chirping in if it was near dawn, adding their harmony. Here was an outburst of song 
during a time of trial and suffering. It's one of the themes of the book of Psalms. And so this, this, this is reality for our Christian life, that God gives us what we need when Satan wants to buffet us. Martin Luther was constantly hounded by, by the evil one, arrested, tried, excommunicated, hunted, hidden, betrayed. And Martin Luther fought with the Psalms. Psalms 46, ein feste Burg, a stronghold, a mighty fortress you are. Spurgeon, one of the relatives of Andrew, <laughs> was besieged by sickness through his, whole, through his whole ministry. And yet Spurgeon wrote one of the greatest commentaries on the book of Psalms, the treasury of David, which should be in every one of our libraries. Luther and Spurgeon remind me of a Middle Easterner. We don't know what country he's from. He needs to keep that hidden. His name is Dimitri. You may have heard of his story here at the church. It's been around for a while, but he was also a singing fighter. He was the only one among 1,500 hardened prisoners in a uh, very restricted prison. The prisoners tried to torment him. And he tells the story of how he survived through that time. He said, for 17 years, Every morning at daybreak, he would stand at attention, face east, whatever way east is here, and he would raise his hands, and he would begin to sing out to the Lord in his dialect, in his cultural style. It was probably a psalm or a, or a psalm paraphrase. The reaction of the other prisoners was very, very predictable. Dimitri recounted their laughter, their jeering, their cursing. They banged their metal cups against the prison bars. They threw discarded food and sometimes even human waste to try to shut him up. Eventually the day came when he was led out of his cell to be executed. As he was dragged down the corridor the strangest thing happened. Before he reached the door leading out to the courtyard, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. They faced east and they began to sing. Dimitri told an author that it was like one of the most wonderful choirs he could have ever heard. 1,500 criminals raising their arms began to sing the song that they had heard Dimitri sing every morning for 17 years. The jailers were so stunned by this, they immediately stepped back. Who are you? 
is all they could say. And Dimitri said, I am a child of God, and you have heard the song of my Savior, the Lord. Well, the guards returned him to his cell, and eventually he was set free. Dimitri demonstrates outbursts of song through trial. But nothing came close to my reading in the Psalms like my encounter of Psalms 22. The Psalm is like no other in all of the scriptures. Spurgeon reminds us that Psalm 22 reaches a level of suffering that it never has had at any time and felt throughout the world and likely never will again. Other uh, commentators remind us that it was likely that Jesus, hanging on that cross, muttered or chanted Psalm 22. My God, why have you forsaken me? And it continued on that somehow may have helped Jesus survive that ordeal. Be sure to find uh, Dr. Mann's book on Hebrews 2, where there, it also includes some commentary on Psalm 22. Now, similar to Psalm 57, Psalm 22 shows how, in a psalm, the key shifts. And so by verse 27, David is emotionally and spiritually in a different realm. He rediscovers the God who controls the universe. David pivots from groaning perplexity to global praise. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules the nations. Here's another example of how our life works. Facing devastation, we can look at our circumstances and then look beyond them to the sovereign God who reigns. He reigns over our circumstances. He reigns over the nations. Now, before we touch down on Psalm 86, and I'm just going to mention the, the verse briefly, as we've heard it already more than once tonight. We need to make one more foray into a global psalm, and this is Psalm 96, where we encounter two responses. Sing to the Lord, statement of worship. Share about the Lord, a statement of witness. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. This is worship going viral on steroids. This is worship that leads to witness. There's a classic Ron Mann quote that states it this way. 
The goal of evangelism is quite simply to win more worshipers to glorify his name because he is worthy of it. And because that was his purpose in making the nations and redeeming humankind. Sadly, most believers are not connected to this worship witness binary. So one of my close OM associates, Richard Sharp, did something about it. He had heard a statistic that just so overwhelmed him. It was from one of the largest American denominations. And the quotation that he heard was that in that denomination, people made a clear decision speaking about Jesus once every 28 years. And when he heard that believers lived such a truncated life, he realized he had to do something about it. And so he had to create a tool that would just help people start gossiping the gospel. He developed a simple evangelism tool called One Wish. It includes a wristband. There's several colors of this wristband. With four pictures and a comic leaflet that accompanies the wristband. And that comic leaflet is a conversation of people talking about the four pictures on this wristband. Those leaflets are now in a dozen languages and this resource has been used all over the world. And even when we don't have time to explain the four pictures, we can at least give this comic leaflet out as a marvelous uh, witnessing uh, tool. Richard speaks of missions across the street and missions around the world. Once, when I had just come back from a, a run and I didn't have the, the wristband on, I saw a truck parked across the street. It was filled with mud and dirt. And uh, as I was just recovering my breath, it, the driver walked up, and so I went over and started talking to him. And one, the conversation started meandering into more spiritual things. And uh, so I began to explain the wristband, but I didn't have one with me. So I, I just, through the dirt, I just started drawing something that looked like a diamond. It wasn't nearly as pretty as this guy. But I started sharing how we are all very precious in God's sight. And, uh, and then I went on and I, I went to the second picture. And this was a little easier to draw on his, on his dirty truck. Uh, a couple uh, rectangles, one with the white side, the light side, one on the dark side. And to show how God is on the uh, light side and because of the wrong that we have done, we're on the dark side and we're separated from this God. And I gave illustrations about that, our lying, our cheating, our stealing, whatever. And then how God did something about it 
and picture three on the wristband that I had to draw. I did my best to draw a hand uh, with the nail to show what God did sending Jesus in our place. And he took all of our sin, past, present, and future with him on that cross. And then finally, and I did a very poor job of this one, I had to draw a handshake. And uh, so I think he understood what I was trying to do. And, uh, and this is the fourth picture on that wristband, that God desires a relationship, a friendship with us. And that's his one wish for everyone. And so in the tract... Um, is also a, a prayer. And I did my best to say, would you like to pray that prayer? And he did, and he received J Jesus right next to his dirty truck. Missions across the world, missions across the street, literally across my street. My street. So please pick up a packet and some of those leaflets as you leave. Leave, leave a little donation for it, for Richard. And uh, also, when you're there, you'll be able to look and, and uh, get a copy of a book that I was able to uh, compile stories of how God is using music like Proscenia that you heard tonight. It's called All the, All the, uh, All the World is Singing, and it's, uh, it's a reader of stories of what God is doing, raising up worship through song around the world. And it's on great discount tonight. Now, as we come to Psalm 86, and there's only time for me to just mention one more time, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. So all the nations are gonna glorify the great name of our Lord. Here is an affirmation that global worship will happen. And we are at a time in our history when this psalm is going to burst forth like never before. Now, I would like to conclude tonight by shifting us now into the New Testament. And the corollary to the global psalms is Revelation 5. Try to imagine the moment when our Lord visited John on that prison island. And he probably said something like, John, come with me. I wanna walk you into eternity. And I would like you to grasp what it is like to witness global worship. That realm, that eternal realm, where a thousand years is like a day, or like a day has so much in it that it could stretch out like, like a thousand years. So we're gonna take a seat together at Revelation 5, the gathering with the millions of angels, the elders, all of redeemed humanity, assembled at this massive throne service that includes all nations, all tribes, all nations, all cultures. Now, please stay with me as I 
do a little unsophisticated and certainly untheological imagining of this very dramatic passage. So let's say that when we get to heaven, Ken Borges texts an angel at Worship Central that he wants to assemble some first Ivan musicians and friends to orchestrate Revelation 5. So heaven summons Roger Lowther, Ron Mann, and others. The angel will assign me to supply the heavenly Starbucks or, uh, or perhaps some of my mother's great homemade wine. So the team takes their time, and after a few hundred years in between coffee and wine, they complete the orchestration. So they require a small orchestra. It only needs 5,000 people. They only need a mid-sized choir. It's only 100,000 people, give or take a few thousand altos and tenors. There's plenty of space at the throne room concert hall that stretches thousands of stories up. And, of course, this massive east, west, north, south, we will all have vision to zoom in on any place there so that we can see our Lord clearly wherever, wherever we are in that throng. So the first Ivan Orchestra starts movement one and one of the leaders starts singing and they sang a new song saying and then Ken brings in the orchestra. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Hundreds of language groups in their dialects start singing out worthy, one language after another, in astonishing harmonies. Worthy are you to take this scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then comes movement two. The crescendo is now building with this massive choir and orchestra. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing. And now we arrive at movement three. And the sound is deafening. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Thousands of redeemed African peoples with their dialects take up the tune, dancing and declaring in their languages, blessing and honor and glory to the Lamb forever and ever. Baraka. Nahashima, Ukatufu, Nanguyo. 
if Google Translate understands biblical Swahili. Then come the Latinos. They take their turn. To the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. Al Cordero sea la bendición y la honra y la gloria por los siglos, por los siglos. And then the Asians, to keep the angels from laughing, I will not bother trying to pronounce some Tagalog or Mandarin. We'll let the Proskuneo team learn all those Asian languages. Blessing and honor and glory to the Lamb forever. And then finally we come to the end of that passage. The four living creatures said in their, maybe their four-part harmony, Amen. So let's just sing out our American version of this passage of blessing and honor and, and glory. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Sing it again. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor? Is he worthy of this peace? Take a moment and reflect. All nations, all glory, all worship. each of our meetings this weekend with a, a form of a benediction. It's like a commissioning. And uh, Richard Sharp, who created these resources, also just created a benediction. So I'd like you to say with me, it's in three parts. Let's say it together. There is nothing I can do without you this is my dependence. There is nothing I cannot do through you. This is my confidence. And there is nothing I will not do for you. This is my obedience. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen.